Ephesians 4. We are looking at verses 12 to 16. If you would please follow in the reading of the Holy Word of God. For the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we will no longer be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Help us, Father. Help us to hear these amazing words, these amazing purposes, and these miraculous results. Help us to understand what it means to each and every one of us in the building of the body, and that we are to succeed. It must be your pattern. Help us to hear, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We've looked at this, and we are in verses basically 13 to 15, but we're understanding that this perfecting takes place in 12, what he's speaking of, and it is the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Okay, When you hear the word ministry, just immediately shift to service. Chance to serve. Okay, So, gifted men, in verse 11... Evangelists, pastor teachers, are to equip, strengthen, mature the saints so that they will serve. Okay? That's the essence of what we are looking at. And in serving, what happens? The body of Christ is perfected. It's built up. It becomes this supernatural entity that makes man stand in awe of. Okay? But as we've seen this, he gives, we're in verses 13 to 15, there are five purposes, okay, that have these reality. They're basically a purpose clause. Once this purpose is achieved, this will be the reality. You've got to understand something. When he says that I'm going to take these gifted men to strengthen the saints to serve. So part of what your service is going to be is one, there in verse 13, the unity of the faith. The unity of the faith. Listen, it is hard for me to teach you theology when you ain't here. Okay? It's that simple. 
You can sit and tell me everything you want to tell me about Jesus, but you're not going to get the theological understanding from the gifted men. There's a reason God says, I'm going to place these gifted men into the body. Okay? And, you know, you, you think about it. Why would I neglect a gift from Christ? These gifted men are part of the rewards of his victory at Calvary. And he gives gifts to each and every one of you, but you're not going to understand what your gift is until your theology, like the Charles Hodge quote, till I look upon him. Yeah, we're not here to reflect it. We are here to be it. And I, I know that that's going to make some of your brains hurt. And you know what? I hope so. I truly hope so. Upon the unity of the faith, then there will be a knowledge of the Son of God. Okay, I shared with you this last week that this is not... Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Okay? We need to move out of birdbath Christianity. We need to be in the deep end. You know, uh, I grew up in uh, moccasin country. Water moccasins. Water moccasins are one serious redneck snake. Okay? They are not afraid of you. Even when you've got a twenty-two automatic rifle and you're emptying it, shooting at them, they don't care. Okay? Because I've, I've had them chase me. Okay? And I've emptied my rifle a couple of times and reloaded it a couple of times and said, this ain't working. But you know what I found out? If I stay in the deep water... They can't bite me. They have to be able to push off. And if you're in the deep water, there's nothing to push off of. Now, if you get up on the shore, or if they get in the boat with you, that is a possibility. So you know what that tells me? If Satan is a snake, where do I need to be? I want to be in the deep water. Why? Because if I couldn't hit a snake with a rifle, I know I ain't going to hit Satan. Okay, that is the deeper knowledge of who is Christ. Okay, we sit around and we look at his miracles. I remember when I taught through Matthew's gospel, you get his lineage. This is his kingly line. And then all of a sudden it goes through the whole book of Matthew. And it shows that he had authority over every aspect of creation. And he concludes it with, I'll be with you always to the end of the earth. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all peoples. Okay? I mean, it's a simple gospel if you think about it. But the thing is, is when you think about Jesus Christ, most people think about him from the perspective that he raised the dead. He caused the lame to walk. He caused the blind to see. I mean, he created food. Okay, he got Peter to get out of the boat. 
That is the average view of the Lord Jesus Christ by the average Christian. Let me take you a little farther. What did he worry about? Anything making him anxious? Have you ever noticed he only got mad when people were bad-mouthing his dad? When they were blaspheming him or his disciples, he never got mad. But when you take my father's house and turn it into a den of thieves, bad move. See, that's getting more into the knowledge of the Son of God. I mean, okay, Son of God. Well, he should be able to control every aspect of creation. That's not rocket science. But when you start, think about this. Arthur Pink did this to me a few years ago. What was Jesus' patience? Why did he even have him? If you're not bound by time, why do you need patience? That makes my brain go, what? Because I remember I was on an airplane reading that, and I was like, what's the matter with you, man? Why would you even come up with something like that? But then the more I thought about it, I was like, yeah, you're right. You're right. That is the knowledge of the Son of God. That is so that those in the body can become perfect, can become a mature believer. So you don't have to run everywhere and say, well, what does it really say? Some people say, well, you seem to use a different, because my Sunday school class, I'm teaching out of a new King James Bible. And I opened up the front cover of it, and it dawned on me this was my international Bible for a long time. And it's listed in there what I taught in what city at what dates. I was like, wow, that's cool. I was organized once upon a time, wasn't I? Or at least slightly. But if you watch, I have a different Bible for everything that I teach. You know why? Early in my ministry, I became Bible handicapped. If I didn't have my Bible that I knew that it was on this column right here in this part of the text. I don't know where it was. Now, I've got a King James Bible that is in there, and all of the verses run together because they're, they're not following the sentences. And with my eyesight, that's sort of like, what? But if you look at this Bible, i got single columns. And people say, well, how do you get around in that? Very well, actually. Okay, so why? Because I don't want to be Bible handicapped. When it comes to my head, I'm going to say, okay, it's in Corinthians. I think it's like, wait, let's see, the first part of it is this doctrine, and it comes over to this doctrine, then we're dealing with this, so it's got to be about 13. So I can tell you that about Matthew. And that was a long time ago. 
Okay, so I can go through these things. And the reason is, is that because of the unity of the faith, I have grown in my knowledge of the Son of God. I have not reached the place yet. I press on, as Paul told the church in Philippi, for the upward calling of Christ. When we mature in the unity of the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, guess what happens? The measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Did you note that? It did not say the reflection of Christ. It says the fullness of the stature of Christ. If I will remind you of chapter 3, verse 19. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, when that happens, that I may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here at the end of verse 13, it says, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So it's something that you definitely need to pray for. But it is something that we are called to strive for. Now then, do I have your attention yet? This is for the whole group. Okay? This is for the whole church. All right? That it will come to be like Christ. Because, see, he's the only perfect man. He's the only one that I can say is fully mature. He is... I mean, if you really think about it, he's really equipped, right? For every good work. He is the only complete one. That is the stature of the fullness of Christ. I shared with you that what we're in the process of is, this is thirdly of five purpose clauses, five purposes with this result. Okay, you have to hang on tight today. First John, chapter two, verse six. Okay, the one who says he abides in him. Okay, remember what I told you this morning. What does the word abide mean? Remains. The one who says he remains in him ought himself to what? Reflect. Nope. Walk in the same manner as he walked. Concept there, isn't it? We were talking about the vine dresser this morning. You feel the knife yet? We like to reflect. I can reflect. I just smile. I smile real big. Or I can reflect. It's a bad thing. I'll pray. Okay, I'm going to reflect. That ain't the issue. You ought to walk as he walked. 
Now, now, let me get you, get your head wrapped around this. When he called Lazarus from the grave, what did he do? He came out. What did he do when he realized he was going to call him from the grave? He wept because he knew where he was. When you have a loved one who steps into glory, you really want him back? See the difference? That is to know the Son of God. I tell you what, something happens to me and somebody tries to raise me from the dead, you better hope you don't. Because you will have your hands full. Okay? We are told to walk as he walked. I mean, do you think that he was confident? Do you remember what I shared with you in chapter 1? This was the plan before time. Before he created time, they had a plan. You know what? Each and every one of you is a part of that plan right now that was created before time was created. How's your confidence doing? Listen, brothers and sisters, shouldn't the church in this world be Jesus Christ? The church... I guess, to use today's vernacular, is Christ's body part two. But yet, if you look around, what do you think? Look around. Tell me what you think. Then you tell me where the problem is. I had a friend of mine preach this text one time we were at a conference together. And he said, I'm going to ask you, I said, you know, there is a question that is being asked all over the world in multiple languages that is the same for over every day, and it's always asked over and over. He said, he says, you know what that question is? That's kind of creepy. He says, how you doing? How you doing? Now then, think it from this perspective. If you were to look at Jesus Christ, ask him, how's he doing? He says, well, my head's, my head's great. My body's jacked up. Because it comes from a lack of the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God that we do not reach to the fullness of the statute of Jesus Christ or the fullness of God. We are Christ in the world. Remember why I told you you were saved? Romans 8.29. You should write this down on the front cover of your Bible. Why was I saved? Romans 8.29. It's the only reason you were saved. To be conformed into the image of Christ. Now, there's some bonuses to that. We were saved 
here so that we would be conformed into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are Christ. Okay? We are Christ. We are the only Christ that the world will see until he destroys sin. And then it's too late. I was sharing with you guys this morning about a couple that I had to deal with and the turmoil that was there. He eventually died. And to this day, it haunts me because I keep thinking, how much grace was extended to this couple? And let me ask you a question. Do you know when the, the grace is gone? Oh, that's not true. That's not true. There is an end point, poof, where God's grace ain't there no more. It takes seven years in the tribulation. Grace is gone. Okay? There are people right now who have run past God's grace, and you know what's tragedy? They have no idea. You know, everybody talks about Samson, and he got, you know, he lost all of his strength, and he's got his hair cut off. Uh-uh. Go read the text. It said the Spirit left him. And he didn't even know it. There's a point out there where grace says, it's done. Have at it. Go read, read in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 320, how many times the word give, given over appears. You know what that is? Grace is gone. You think that this is going to make you happy. Have at it. And it goes on and on and on. And when I think about it today, we are Christ. We are the only Christ that the world will see. And if you think about it now, I'm going to give you a quick Hang on, I said. At the beginning of the seven years of tribulations, okay, remember, there's seven years of tribulations. The last three and a half is the great tribulation or Jacob's travail. That's when they come after Israel. Okay? But if you look at that and you go to 1 Thessalonians, you find out that the Holy Spirit, the restrainer, is removed. Okay, that means his restraining work. That is the rapture of the church. The church is gone. No, we are not the restrainers, but we are Christ in the world. But when we are gone, the Holy Spirit stops the restraining work. How long does it take for society to destroy itself? See what I mean? What are we doing now? I think there's too many playing tiddlywinks. We are to mature. That should be the passion for every believer in Jesus Christ. Let me take you to a text. Another text, shall I say. It goes right along with what Nate shared this morning out of Luke. Okay? But it comes out of 2 Corinthians. It's in the third chapter. 
this chapter compares the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. The Old Covenant was with the blood of a bull, remember? Abraham knocked him out, scared the bejesus out of him. God walked among, walked among them and says, I make a covenant with you, Abraham. Okay? The second covenant, where did it come from? The perfect sacrifice. We take of the cup, what is it? It's remembrance of the perfect sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? But in this text, it can contrast the two covenants. The one covenant, remember, Moses, he go up on a mountain, come down glowing in the dark. And it scared everybody. They put a veil over him because everybody's freaking out because he was glowing in the dark. He was radioactive and they didn't even know what radioactive was. Okay, but it'd fade away. He would go into the presence if God showed up in the tabernacle, he'd come out, he'd be glowing again. But they knew that he had gone into the presence of God. But you know what's amazing about it? How many people in the Old Covenant got that? Unamas. Right? Which brings me to what I want to look at. You and I are not under that covenant. We are under a new covenant. We celebrated it this morning, right? The breaking of the bread, drinking of the cup. And we proclaim the gospel until he comes by doing that. Let me show you this covenant. But to this day, whoever Moses has read, the veil lays over their heart. But whenever a person turns, this is verse 15, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That hiding of the old covenant is removed. Now, the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is a liberty. Okay? But look what verse 18 says. Remember what I told you. When Moses is read, there's a veil. Why? When Moses beheld the glory of God, it shined on him, and then it would fade away. Under the new covenant, look at verse 18. But we all, did you see that? It doesn't say all pastors, it doesn't say all elders or Sunday school teachers. It says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, The glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. Remember the quote we read this morning? We have to behold Him. We don't reflect Him. Moses reflected Him. The new covenant says what? You look in a mirror, what do you see? I am beholding him. And it says you will grow from glory to glory. I don't freak you out. 
That freaks me out. I remember how I used to be. And it's not there anymore. Okay? And I know it didn't come from court-ordered counseling. See what I'm trying to get to you? You're in the new covenant. You take of the bread and you take of the cup. You're celebrating a covenant that says that you now are being pressed into the glory of the Lord. And behold, you should see it. Hmm. Listen. (laughs) As we go deeper into that personal relationship. Listen, I'm not talking about my relationship with Christ for you. I'm talking about each and every one of you getting your relationship deeper and deeper so the moccasins can't get you. As that relationship grows, we will be changed into His image. You can't help but be changed into his image. Moses went up and just seen the Shekinah. And it spilled all over him. Moses didn't even have a Bible. He's in the process of writing it. You and I have it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And it all happens by the Holy Spirit. I was talking about that this morning. There are gifted speakers out there. They're all over the place. And they eventually think, well, I should be a preacher. But there are powerful men out there who are not gifted speakers, who rely wholly and solely on the Spirit of the living God. And when they speak, they cut. Sometimes it's a rumfi. Sometimes it's a Makaira. But it can cut between the spirit and the soul. Be like him. For me to be like him, I need to look at him. Listen. We're going to be... The stature of the fullness of Christ. Do you get that? I mean, you just say, what? What's the matter to you? Why would you write that down, Paul? Are you out of your mind? But we, we immediately shift in, well, give me some water. I need some wine. Or we jump into, you know, let me catch a fish with some money in it. You jump into that. But let me ask you a question. Look at Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is everybody pick your toes up off the floor. How much patience you have? Huh? How much patience you have with your spouse? How much patience you have with your kids? How much patience do you have with your coworkers? How much patience you have with those wonderful seasoned drivers in the highway? 
Let me ask you a question. How much patience did the Lord Jesus Christ have with you? Do you want to get measured to the fullness of Christ? You can say yes. Be careful when you walk out the door. And I know that nobody here has a problem with pride. Right? How much pride did Jesus have? He was only God incarnate. How much pride did he have? He humbled himself as unto the form of a man. I don't care about anybody else thinks. That would have to be, if you're God, about the most humbling thing you could ever endure. Right? To the stature of Christ. I don't, I don't even want to talk about the miracles. Get those down. Get his attributes down. Get his actions, his attitudes down. How anxious was Christ? What did he have to be anxious about? Let me give you one. Over the years of my ministry, I've had opportunity to teach in several different uh, formats, conferences, whatever you want to call them. And one of the, I taught on a series several different places. The title of my message was, Have You Been to the Garden? I taught it here. They're all gone now, but I've taught it here. And I got two that says, I heard it. Shut up. <laughs> We've already heard this. We'll go in the back. Okay. It's an interesting text because had not God wanted this done, nobody would know this happened. So if he made sure that it was brought to mind, remember when we were studying in John 13? The Holy Spirit, I'll send him. He's going to remind you of what I said. But he's going to give you more. Okay. He did it with Matthew in chapter 26. And... I wonder how many Christians have been to the garden. Right? Jesus came to a place called Gethsemane. Said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to grieve and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little bit beyond them. Okay? You got nine of them sitting back here. You got three here. And Jesus goes a little farther out. He went beyond them. He fell on his face and he prayed. My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Been to the garden? Ever been there? When God says... I'm talking to you. 
You're on holy ground. In this case, Jesus knows what God's will is. When did they do that? Before they created time. But the weight of the sins of humanity are now on his shoulders. And he's hours away from paying the penalty. Hey, Dad, is there plan B? And you know what? He knows there's not. He knows there's not. Okay, take it in its full context. When was the last time that your sin, regardless of how big or how little, drove you to your knees where all you want to do is eat dirt? That's what's being shared here. That is the brokenness of the human. Why? So we can reach the stature in the fullness of Christ. You can never get there without going through the garden. Your own little personal garden. No, you don't get to, honey, I think it's time to go to the garden. Nope, that ain't the way it works. That is not the way it works. Takes you by the back of the neck, sticks your face in the dirt, and then puts his boot on it and says, you know, talk to me or what? Read on. And when he came to his disciples, he found them sleeping. So he said to Peter, so you men cannot keep watch for me for an hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. How many times do we quote that and disregard completely the context? He went away again a second time. And he prayed saying, my father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came, found them sleeping. Their eyes were heavy. It was late, and they had had an exhausting party. They were there at the institution of the new covenant. Yet, the blood hadn't been shed yet. He left them again, went away and prayed a third time. Same thing once more. When he came back to the disciples, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand. The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let me ask you a question. You trusting? Okay, do you trust him with everything? I mean, absolutely everything. Let me tell you something. You want to be like him? That's coming. You can't get around it. 
You know, I've always asked, I've, you know, the first Bible verse I ever heard was at my dad's funeral. It's the 23rd Psalm. Go through the valley of shadow of death. As a believer, I can say, well, can I go around and look down into it? I mean, I can at least look down there and say, yeah, there it is, buddy. There's a nasty old hole. No, you got to go through it. Why? Do you trust me? Now, see what I'm trying to get at? You want to walk in the fullness of the stature of Christ? Well, if you do, buckle up. And an old friend used to say, you better pray that through. <laughs> because it's going to be a long stretch. I remember, uh, I, I shared with some of you that there was a time in my life where I was an infant in Christ and uh, he made me mad. I know he's never made you guys mad, but he made me mad. And I remember uh, shaking my fist at heaven and telling him to come down and fight like a man. That was really stupid. So many ways. <laughs> he immediately pushed my face into Gethsemane and then stood there. Okay, when I came out of that thing, I said, Lord, I don't know. I said, I've wasted an awful lot of time. Make me your point, man, whatever you need to do. That was the second stupidest thing I did. You know what a point man is in Christ's kingdom? Tip of the spear. That's what I'm doing right now. I'm taking you guys to places that you don't want to go. And I wish you didn't have to go. But I haven't been able to find plan B. Father, if this be your will, okay. When gifted men perfect the saints, they mature the saints, then the saints will be mature. They will minister. They will do the work. You don't have to tell them what to do. They know what to do. They know what God's will is. They know what God's desire is. And they are eager to stand in it. And when they do the work of ministry, the body of Jesus Christ is built up. It is strengthened. It is unmovable. And the unity is supernatural. It can't be fixed. It can't be manipulated. You can't do anything with it. You can't invent it. And then each of your personal relationship with Jesus Christ is based on the humiliating tasks that take place in your garden. And He carried you through. And He strengthened you so that you mature and you would do what? Walk in the fullness of the stature of Jesus Christ Himself. And then, everything moves collectively to Christ-likeness. Individually and collectively. Brothers and sisters, many of you know or are aware of our financials. I mean, sort of on the 
Ugh. That's a biblical term. I just haven't been able to find where it's at. Okay? But I was thinking about this. Well, over about a year. How many times have we been in the same boat? I can't count them. You just look at it and go, I don't see how this is going to work. You know what? It's weird. Anybody check out the offering in the bulletin from last week? How did that work? Because I know a bunch of teenagers ain't got no money. Okay, now if it was one of you, you're holding out. Come on, man. <laughs> Don't make me start praying that you go to the garden. <laughs> That's what we used to call out behind the woodshed. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Listen, do you trust him? Do you trust him with everything? Okay, that means you don't ever worry, you're never impatient, and you ain't anxious. No worries. Okay? I mean, this is an open book test. (laughs) And I mean, it is easily seen. Well, why are you worried about that? Uh, I have the spiritual gift. Okay? Listen. Then and only then, when that unity is magnified in the unity of the faith and a deep, wow, knowledge of the Son of God, that we all begin walking in the stature of the fullness of Christ that we prayed for in Ephesians 3.19. Only then will the world look up and see Jesus Christ when he sees his church. The world looks at the church right now and they don't see Christ. I talk to them. I talk to people in the world all the time. Every day. They don't see Christ. They don't see anything that even resembles Christ. And they don't even know what Christ looks like. But they know what they're seeing ain't him. How about each of us go to the garden and say, I covenant to make it seen. Okay? If you're willing to do that, I'll tell you what. Stay out of rush hour traffic tomorrow morning. (laughs) Okay? When you think about being in the fullness of Christ, do you really understand what you're saying? Because you do now. You know what that means? This wonderful man that you guys think is the bee's knees just made you guys all accountable for this truth. Which means you are without excuse. Anything else I can do to help you out with? Let me know. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Father, these words are hard. But thank you. Father, uh, so many, well, I'm willing to reflect him. But that ain't what you called us to. We are a new covenant with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, being transformed from glory to glory as to Christ, the Spirit. Who is adequate for a task like that? Only he who spoke existence into being. 
Father, help us. Remove the scales, Lord. Remove the foolishness. Remove the entanglements. And let each of us have an overwhelming passion to walk in the fullness of the statute. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Spirit of the living God, to your glory and praise. Amen.